Shalom, I'm Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. Thanks for joining us this weekend on The Chosen People. It's a radio program that lifts up the person of Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, and the need to reach the Jewish people with the good news, the gospel. And with me is Bobby Walter. Bobby leads our region in New York City, the home of two million Jewish people. And so welcome, Bobby. Yes, shalom and welcome, everyone. Thank you so much, Mitch. Well, we all have the holidays on our mind, Bobby. So this is a, a little break, maybe before a hectic shopping day. Uh, we want to focus our thoughts on what God is telling us about his plans for this holiday season. So we have, we have a lot of ground to cover. You know, most people really don't think of Christmas as being very Jewish. Mm-hmm. I actually once wanted to create a t-shirt that said Christmas is a Jewish holiday and wear it around the malls, you know? Right. Because it really is. Christmas is a Jewish holiday, and when you look carefully into God's Word, you'll find that it's all about the birth of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And so we're really talking about a king who was born in a manger in Bethlehem, the house of bread, and that baby, that king, was God wrapped in flesh. And so it's, it's absolutely stunning and profound. But I think it's probably better to try and understand the Jewish background of the baby and the biblical background of the baby. And I think that really elevates the holiday season. Jewish people think that Christmas is basically very commercial, has to do with trees, has to do with presents, etc. But we know that when you put Christ into the center and the core of Christmas, then it can be not only a great family holiday and a season of generosity, but it can be really a deeply spiritual and and moving season of the year. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Mitch. Uh, And I think that should be the desire and the approach of every believer who's seeking to honor and celebrate and remember the birth of the King, the birth of the Messiah at this time. We do have to sort of, you know, forgive the pun, unwrap the Messiah from all of the trappings and the traditions of Christmas. Well, in my opinion, Christmas really is, I mean, in the true sense of the word, when we reflect on the birth of the Son of God, I think that Christmas is the first step in the real advancement of the kingdom of God. Mm. Everything in the Old Testament was prediction, prophecy, looking forward. Probably one could argue that there were kingdom expressions in the Old Testament, and I wouldn't argue with that. I think that that's true. But certainly the Old Testament looked forward to a greater day and to a greater kingdom and to a a greater leader than King David or Moses. And there's a real progression from the old to the new. And beginning with the birth of Jesus in that little manger in Bethlehem, I think we see the the beginning of the establishment of the kingdom of God. Mm. And so I think we want to focus on the kingdom of God in this show. Reminds me of the question in Acts 1-6. When the disciples were gathered, they asked Jesus before the ascension, Lord, is it at this time you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And so the kingdom really was on everybody's mind and everybody's heart. So we should try and learn a little bit more about the kingdom. And there was a very Jewish character Mm -hmm. to the kingdom and the expectation of the kingdom. So Christmas, I think, reminds us that the kingdom of God is a literal and a physical kingdom as described by the prophets of Israel because it begins with the birth of a literal, physical Jesus, the Messiah, God wrapped in flesh. Your thoughts, Bobby? 
Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. And we see this reflected in the New Testament, especially in Luke, in the early chapters of Luke, surrounding the birth of the Messiah. When he's born and then his parents, Mary or Miriam and Joseph, bring him to Jerusalem to dedicate him and, you know, fulfill the, the command, he's greeted by two really unique figures. You have Simeon and Anna. And the way that they reflect when they see the birth of the king, when they see God in the flesh right before them, even as a baby, they respond with just praises to God and basically declare that this is good news for Israel. This is good news because the king has been born. Yeah, I think that's, boy, you you nailed it. The focus is on the king. In fact, I think that we need to at least explain a little bit about the Bible's understanding of kingdom. There's the king. There's the people ruled by the king, and there's the land where the kingdom is established. Mm. So you can't have a kingdom without a king, and Christmas celebrates the birth of the king. So you've got a king, you've got a people ruled by the king, that's the Jewish people, and a land, that's the land of Israel, where the kingdom was going to be established. For a few moments as we think about this wonderful season of the year, we want to remind ourselves that this babe born in Bethlehem was actually a king. Hmm. <laughs> he was a king. And yet his kingdom would not become a reality immediately. In a sense, his kingdom would ultimately be postponed. And at this present time, this Christmas season, we are still waiting. And yet one day, the king will return and reign in the fullness of his glory. I'd like to actually uh, ask you, Bobby, to read a portion of Scripture that really describes what I would call the fullness of the Old Testament's kingdom expectation in uh, Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. Sure. Here it goes. Uh, Isaiah 11, beginning in verse 1. Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand in the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea." Then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. Wow. I mean, what an incredible passage, Bobby. It just hits on so many of the critical elements of what a kingdom is is like. And the one thing you know from reading this passage is that if the kingdom is present, we missed it. (laughs) (laughs) Because the wolf is not lying down with the lamb. I can tell you that. The wolf is eating the lamb. And so we'll know that the kingdom is here 
when the king is present, he's reigning on his rightful throne. It's a literal physical kingdom. He's on his throne. And more than anything, we'll understand things have changed. The curse has lifted and many of the promises of God have come to pass. And so in the Old Testament, it's understood that the promised king would usher in the kingdom. And we have to ask ourselves the question, what's changed? So if Jesus is the king, why aren't we in the kingdom right now? Yeah, and this is a great question. And this is even an objection or a question that we'll get from Jewish people as we share the gospel with them. They'll look around and say, well, if Jesus is the Messiah, then why why is there still war? Why is there still famine? Why is there still pestilence? Why don't we have the kingdom right now? I think that one of the reasons we don't have the kingdom right now is because the Jewish people, my kinsmen according to the flesh and his, the ones that were supposed to submit to his rule didn't submit. Mm. And it reminds me of this passage in Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 through 39, where Jesus confronts the Jewish leaders and says, you will not see me until you say, Baruch Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So at the end of Matthew 23, before the Olivet Discourse, Jesus basically had come to the end of his rope. And he called upon the Jewish leaders, really at that point, to make a decision, but they made the wrong choice. And therefore, he followed in with two points of judgment. One, your house will be left desolate. That refers to the temple, and that actually was fulfilled in 70 AD. Mm-hmm. The second would be that he would leave. But remember, he says, until you say. So that little word, until, mm-hmm. is such an important kingdom term. So the king was born. The king presented himself. Those who were to be subjected to the king refused. And so the king departed. But the king didn't depart permanently. The king will return when the people he is going to rule, the Jewish people, will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and will welcome the king. So that's the second coming. So the second coming is all about the establishment of the physical, literal, kingdom with the king in Jerusalem, with the lifting of the curse, all these wonderful things that are described in in Isaiah 11, these will all take place when Israel turns to the king and the king returns. So Mitch, we have a unique faith because God is going to one day restore his creation. That kingdom is going to come. But in the meantime, He is so near to us. He is so compassionate to us, and he chose to send his son to dwell among us. That's the greatest gift there is, Bobby, the greatest gift anyone could ever receive. That's what you and I live for, particularly to bring to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. As we get ready to celebrate Christmas, we'd like to continue our wonderful Advent series as we discover the joy in our coming King. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and will bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Many people all around the world look forward to Christmas. Shops are decorated with happy scenes. Streets and homes are illuminated with festive lights. And there is a general feeling of goodwill in the air. Children joyfully anticipate gifts. Classroom celebrations are going on. They're looking forward to time together with family and friends. 
Even as adults, most of us can find joy and reasons to smile during this time of year. The words of the classic Christmas carol, Joy to the World, provide a clue to the reason for this joy. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. These words are based on Psalm 98, which says, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Shout joyfully before the King, the Lord. And during Advent, we remember the birth of the King, the Lord, the Messiah, Yeshua, who was born more than 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, who changed the course of history and has given us reason for joy. Because the Messiah was born, lived, ministered, taught, healed people, was crucified, and rose on the third day, we now have eternal assurance of our place in heaven. And we enjoy fellowship with the Lord Jesus every single day. We are being made more into His likeness through the power of the Holy Spirit, which brings unspeakable joy and gladness to our souls. Now, while the plan to send His Son to the world was in the mind of God before creation, He used a young Jewish woman, conceiving miraculously, to bring His plan to fruition, just as He used the matriarch, Sarah, to miraculously conceive Isaac. God uses the joy of miraculous birth to proclaim His power and His sovereignty. The opening passages of the Gospel of Luke tell of this miraculous conception, but this time it's about John the Baptist, the forerunner and the cousin of the Messiah Jesus. John was born to an elderly woman named Elizabeth, who was both barren and far past childbearing age. Her husband, Zechariah the priest, and his wife Elizabeth were reminiscent of Sarah and Abraham, who also gave birth to Isaac when she was past childbearing years. Side by side, Elizabeth and her cousin Mary carried the forerunner of the Messiah and the Messiah himself, a true testament to God's ability to bring life out of seemingly nothing. In the case of Elizabeth, it was with age. And in the case of Mary, it was a supernatural conception. So during this time of year, we remember the unique ministry of the Messiah, who is unlike any other prophet or teacher. He truly is Emmanuel, God with us. And as God in the flesh, he understands our faults and our shortcomings as well as the hardships of this life. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15 say this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but instead one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. What is unique about our faith is that we serve a God who is near us and a God who is so compassionate that he chose to send his only begotten son to dwell among us, to be born as a child, to be raised among his countrymen, and to minister to the masses, Jewish and Gentile alike, having compassion upon them and healing their sicknesses. The birth of Jesus brought this joyous good news to the Jewish people and to the whole world. Truly, Yeshua's saving work accomplished on the cross is once and for all and is effective for all people everywhere as long as they call on the name of Jesus, believe in him with all of their hearts, 
and confess his name. Then, as the scripture says, they will be saved. So let us rejoice in this miracle, that because the Messiah was born more than 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, we can now rejoice in salvation forevermore, and we can have joy in the coming King. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. So, Mitch, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Can you tell us more about about this king and about this kingdom? Sure. I know that uh, next week we'll talk a little bit more about the Jewishness of the king, a son of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin, from the house of David, and that he was fully human. He was a son of the woman, Genesis 3.15, a Jewish man, Genesis 12.1-3. And all of that is important, and we'll focus on it next week. But I want to remind all our listeners that the king is God in the flesh. And mm. it's, it's, it's not that uh, this was something that took God himself by surprise or, or should take us by surprise. It's one of the most difficult things in the world to talk to a Jewish person because the, the idea of God becoming flesh is so abhorrent and so different to a Jewish person, but yet the divine nature of this human king is predicted in the Hebrew scriptures incredibly. Uh, Bobby, maybe uh, you can read to us from the book of Isaiah two passages. First, a well-known passage, of course, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and then Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, where Clearly, the Old Testament prophets, particularly Isaiah in this case, uh, made it clear that this child who would be born, this child who would be the king, this great son of David, this Jewish king would be God in the flesh. Yeah. So Isaiah says this, chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. God with us. That's right, Emmanuel, God with us. The emphasis is on the incarnation. Exactly, exactly. And then again in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. See, Bobby, I really believe that we're talking about the same son, not a son of Isaiah, but a greater son, because none of the sons of Isaiah uh, could have lived up to these names, and that's true. But if you work your way backwards— Uh, which is what I like to do, at the end of verse 7, where it's clear that whoever this son is going to be, they are going to reign on the throne of their father, David, forever. Mm -hmm. Now, what human king could do that? Right. And so both the child born of the virgin and the child described by these wonderful names is God in the flesh. So the greater son of David is the son of God. And so the king of Israel ultimately is God himself, which is what God always wanted. 
but God took on flesh to become that king. So the question really we have to answer is, why is the kingdom not here now after the king was already born? And again, it's because the subjects were unwilling uh, to be ruled by the king. And so therefore, Jesus actually fulfilled a slightly more hidden but still predicted part of his ascending to the throne. He needed to be born, obviously, to ascend to the throne, but there was something else. And it doesn't appear to us so quickly. It's not as obvious. But his pathway to the throne was not just through his resurrection and through his return, but through his death. So Jesus ascends the throne by dying for our sins and rising from the dead. In this we know, the king was born to die. And this was part of the plan of God from the beginning. He would rise to reign. And then one day, he'll return in glory and establish the Davidic throne in Israel with the capital in Jerusalem, and he'll take his rightful place as king of kings and lord of lords of both Israel and the nations. And so that's the expectation. One day, he will take his rightful place. All the promises and prophecies from Isaiah 11 all the way through, all of these will come to pass. He died, he rose, he ascended, and he will return as king when the Jewish people turn to Jesus. So I can honestly say, Bobby, that when the Jewish people turn to Jesus, Jesus, the king, returns. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. Thanks so much for joining us today. The holidays are a great time to reflect on what God is doing in our lives and what he's already done for us. And when you reach out and say hi to us this month, we'll send you a free booklet called The Gospel According to Hanukkah. This powerful presentation on the Feast of Dedication is designed to help you better understand this eight-day Jewish celebration, which commemorates the rededication of the temple in Jerusalem during the second century BC. Hanukkah is not mentioned in the Hebrew Bible, but it is mentioned in the New Testament in John 10:22, And we know that Jesus himself celebrated this wonderful holiday. And it's a great way to see the gospel through Jewish eyes during this time of the year. This book explains why Jesus is Hanukkah's true hero. And if you'd like to learn more about the holiday and other biblically appointed feasts, visit us at chosenpeople.com slash radio. Or order the booklet, The Gospel According to Hanukkah. Call us at 888-293-7482. That's 888-2-YESHUA, Y-E-S-H-U-A, the Hebrew name for Jesus. Or write to us at Chosen People Ministries, 241 East 51st Street, New York, New York, 10022. And now let's wrap up today's program with the ironic benediction. Vichunecha, ye 
ויישם לך שלום. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace.